This is RMB's Data Analytics Podcast with Matthew Burnett, where we look at the insightful role that data analytics plays for decision makers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Data Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Burnett. I'm the head of data analytics at Rand Merchant Bank. And today we're going to be speaking about the, the massive impact of the, the pandemic on the retail sector, but also about how data and data insights have been assisting retail asset managers. So with me on the podcast today, I've got Michael Crampett. He's, he's the head of asset management for the retail sector at Attack. And, and, and Michael, maybe before we start, thank you firstly very much for joining us on the podcast today. And maybe before we start, um, maybe just to give the, the podcast listeners and viewers just a bit of insight in, into, you know, what you do on a day-to-day basis and maybe how that has changed in the last six months. Because I imagine, um, you know, sort of understanding people's behavior. And I guess overnight, there was just this massive shift in people's behavior, right? Yeah, so uh, thank you, Matthew. It's wonderful to join you today. And, and maybe just a, a bit of background. So, uh, you know, I'm still fully vested in the bricks and mortar. I work for Attack. It's a listed property REIT on the JC, and we've got uh, quite a nice uh, retail portfolio, you know, the, the crown jewel in that portfolio being Mall of Africa. And certainly, you know, our lives have, have certainly been disrupted over the last six months, you know, whether it was, you know, that, that period in March where we had to get the physical properties ready, you know, within a week's time, uh, you know, to trade under lockdown conditions, make sure that they're hygienic and safe, you know, understanding who's going to trade and who not, um, you know, and then every time there was a, a change in the lockdown level or rigs, you know, we had to catch up pretty quickly uh, and make sure that, that firstly we comply. But secondly, also, you know, at the end of the day, we where the customers meet the goods, right? And so we had to make sure that our customer communities found out uh, immediately, you know, who would be open for trade, uh, how long would they be open to trade uh, to make sure that, you know, that little trade that was there during those lockdown levels, you know, we could capture as much of that as we could. And, and I guess it's it's a balancing act, Michael, because on the one hand, as a property manager and managing these shopping centers, you've got to make sure that, you know, people are safe and that um, I guess they're not overtraded. But I guess on the others, on the other hand, you also need to make sure that the, the that your tenants are still able to do their business and still earn an income and still, you know, generate revenue. And, and obviously, a lot of them are, are selling essential services. You've got pharmacies, um, you've got food retailers, and, and, and they had to stay open, service the public. That's correct. So if I can give you my personal experience, I think what this has done, it really has strengthened relationships, as you say, whether that was the relationship between ourselves as a landlord and the retailers during this difficult time, uh, or whether it was our relationship as a landlord to the customers visiting the sites. Uh, I think all in all, if you if you take away some of the, the really negative stuff we had to deal with over the last six months, uh, I certainly think that coming out of this, you know, there's a lot of positives to retain. And I think we've learned a lot about each other's businesses. We've learned about uh, how customers behave uh, during this period. It's given us new insights. And now we can use those new insights uh, kind of as things normalize. So, so talking about data analytics, and obviously there's been a lot of, of retail and consumer data analytics that has come out recently. And obviously, you know, that ranges from, from spend behavior and spend patterns all the way to geospatial analytics and understanding where people are coming from and, and how they visit certain centers. And, and sort of, you know, from the data analytics of um, centers, we've seen that um, different types of centers have behaved differently, whether you're a large shopping center or whether you're more sort of residential focused more. How is um, Attack using data to, to understand your consumers and also your tenants better? And where does that data come from? Yeah, so that's an interesting discussion. I think there's, there's lots to discuss when we, we talk about this topic. Um, and, and certainly, 
let me make the statement up front that that we should be honest as landlords. Uh, we're joining this this journey, although Attack has been on the data journey for a couple of years, and, and I'll tell you more about that later. But I think as landlords, um, you know, we undervalued the the level of of, of data or, or potentially what value it could have when you compare us to banks or when you compare us to the retailers. You know, retailers have had uh, customer databases and loyalty cards for ages. You know, where they could get to know their customers better. Banks certainly have got access to spending patterns and behaviors and, and really have insights uh, at, at, at the ready. And us as landlords, you know, we played an intermediary role. You know, we were kind of the conduit to get the customer to the retailer and never really had that direct interaction uh, to understand his behaviors. And certainly we had to catch up in a short period of time. And I, and I think we, we've done that. So, so what we've done at Attack is um, we use uh, Wi-Fi networks that, that do some um, some tracking uh, within our malls. And certainly, you know, all of these things do comply with Poppy. It's done on an anonymized basis. But what we could quickly see is we could quickly understand how people move uh, within our malls. And, and maybe referencing what you said earlier, the different malls acted or had a different experience uh, during lockdown. We certainly saw community centers being much better supported. You know, so those are the small type neighborhood centers during this period. Regionals, which in, in, in property language is probably a mall, you know, between 40,000 square meters and 80,000 square meters. Uh, those mid-tier malls, they fed, uh, you know, but um, that worse uh, trade than the neighborhood centers. And the, the guys that really felt the biggest impact were what we call the super regional centers, you know, so you can think a mall of Africa and Santon and the like. And, and certainly when we looked at the analytics data uh, from, from the, the Wi-Fi networks, we could see that, that people tend to shop in a stealth bomb manner. You know, they would come into the malls, they would do what they need to do, and they would get out. And certainly uh, from a browsing and a dwelling point of view, we saw all those numbers across our malls decrease, which is totally understandable. And, and, and you, you get that from a human behavior. I think what was important is that we're not making assumptions anymore, you know, that from the data we could clearly see, you know, whether they were going to a grocer, whether they were going to a pharmacy, and whether they were completely skipping, you know, at that stage in, in May when we could sell winter clothing and electronic goods, you know, we could see the customer's uh, behavior and understand whether they actually do go, they do that shopping, or, or whether it was like, you know, they go to their favorite fashion retailer and get out. There wasn't a comparable shop, there wasn't a browse, uh, and, and it's good to understand that. Uh, in terms of, you know, what we had to do and adjust with our marketing strategies going forward, we could use what we've learned uh, about the people, um, the way they behave in our malls, in the physical environment, and then adapt and adjust our marketing strategies going forward uh, to to cater for that. So, so what you've said there, I think, is so important because what you've said, and a lot of businesses that are starting to to use data and perform analytics on their data, I think find themselves in a similar position where they say, you know, previously they were they were making a lot of judgment calls and using a lot of assumptions. And now they don't need to do that anymore because the data provides real data points and they can make data informed and data driven decisions. And that's certainly the point of data analytics. So Michael, you, you said that um, attack started on this journey quite a few years ago. Um, so maybe tell us a bit more about that and also tell us a bit more about how else attack is using data or using data to understand tenant mix and to optimize um, shopping centers that you're potentially building in the future? Um, yes, so uh, what I can say and what, what's exciting, I think maybe if you look at my, my physical profile, you'll see that I'm, I'm probably younger than, than most of the other guys in the property industry. And, and I think what comes with that is a different way of thinking. And certainly within attack, uh, I've also find, you know, a, a batch of, of like-minded peers, you know, all the people at, at executive level have got a, a different way of thinking and they definitely support this, this, this data-driven approach. 
Um, I think the first step you have to make, and this is not prescriptive to all companies, but what I found personally was you had a lot of wonderful suppliers of data or, or services, and they were almost standalone. So you had a guy that can provide you a wonderful service reading number plates and having a database for that. There was another guy that could do like, um, you know, analytics on, on Wi-Fi networks. You know, someone else could do a great job um, in analyzing uh, your utility costs. But from a company point of view, these things are standalone until you reach a maturity as a company to say, well, we've centralized the way we run our data or we centralized the way that we support these services in such a way that they become plugins. And I think prior to that, you know, they were almost like standalone services and, and certainly open to the interpretation of that service only. And it was difficult for us, you know, to merge them uh, across all these disciplines. Attackers definitely embarked on that journey. Um, you know, we recently employed a guy, he's an absolute rock star. He's done this at, at other um, listed companies and his, his sole focus is to digitize as a, as a company. But the, the reason for that is that it opens up uh, the doors with all the other initiatives that we do do. And it's definitely gonna, gonna ramp up the, the way that we utilize the data. So, so, you know, certainly I don't wanna profess to be, you know, at the, at the cutting edge, but I think there are some constraints that we have to acknowledge. And, and sort of for a, from an internal point of view, get the company ready. Once your company is digitized, then all these services become very, very valuable. So we do things like, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, utilities is a big thing for us. Uh, we've embarked on a journey now to understand, you know, the usage of utilities, whether that's electricity or water uh, within our assets. Um, we, we're starting to touch on, to use uh, uh, an overused term, um, you know, the Internet of Things. But really for us, it's important to understand where you've got an installation of generators running an entire mall like Mall of Africa. You know, you want access on a dashboard to oil levels, whether that generator is started or not, you know, whether there's diesel. Um, and, and certainly where we did those things a couple of years ago in a manual basis, uh, technology and, 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 and digital integration has allowed us to do that on like a global dashboard basis, making sure that, you know, when something goes wrong, we know about it immediately and we're able to respond. You know, that's, that's an on an operational point of view, but I'm going to repeat myself earlier. I think the landlord has always played an, like the intermediary in the relationship between a retailer and a customer. And, and really we're working very, very hard to have direct access to our customers, to understand the customers that move around in our malls much better, because with those insights, uh, you know, we can definitely change the way we do things. So, so Michael, Sorry, I think you, you really had a couple of things there that I just want to touch on. So first is you said the power came when you had all your data in one place and talking to each other. And I think a lot of companies find themselves in a very similar journey where they start this, there's data that's siloed, it's all over the place within an organization, but it doesn't speak to each other. And I think it, it, the data becomes exponentially more powerful when it's put together. It's, it's really, um, you know, one of the stories that the sum of the different parts is actually much greater than all the different parts individually. And, and that's really where you, you derive um, immense value. But you've spoken about something else and, that, and that, that, that I really like. And as a company, you're using analytics to actually help the end consumer. And when I think of myself walking into a shopping center, there's obviously so, so, so um, there's a kind of a roadmap there and, and there's so much that can be done to help me as a consumer, um, you know, with from the owner of the, the shopping center or the owner of the property or wherever I am. And I think that's definitely, you know, where people are going to get to where there's this very, as a symbiotic relationship between the company, your tenants and the end consumer. And everybody's kind of, um, you know, experiencing value along that value chain and of course people are are data points and submitting data but you know they are experiencing the end value from it i, I, um, I might word that slightly differently sorry but yeah please continue 
maybe if I can if I can use an example to to demonstrate what you've just said now and and certainly this is once again my personal experience uh, when I interact with individuals and I speak about data or what we are trying to achieve in understanding the customers better there's this immediate resistance because why do you want to know what I'm doing or, or, or why do you want to know me at a personal level and I want to make it clear that what I have found extremely valuable, especially in a retail mall environment, is not understanding the individual, but understanding the collective. And if we understand what the collective is doing in terms of a behavior, we can change things to make the collective behavior better. So an example of this is, uh, and I won't disclose who the tenant was or what category it is, because maybe you know you can do the math and figure it out. But um, we, we one of the rules that we set in in some of some of the monitoring that we did is um, we said we wanted to understand the bounce rate per tenancy. Now, bounce rate for us meant we set the rule. If someone walks in and out of a retail environment within 30 seconds, uh, that would count as a bounce. And we saw that with this specific tenant, you know, the bounce rate was 21%. So that means one in five people that walked in into the, the, the store front, you know, walked out after 30 seconds or before 30 seconds. When we investigated that kind of in the physical world, so the data told us that we had a look and we saw that what happened was they had like a mono queue system. And the first thing that you saw in the way that the store was built, so as a customer enters the store, the first thing they would walk into is the queue. So, so you'd, you'd quickly have be able to gauge, you know, it's a long queue, it's a short queue. We mentioned that to, to the specific retailer very quickly. They were able to just change the configuration slightly. I mean, they didn't have to change the till points. They just changed the way that you entered the store and you kind of, you, you were, the till points were hidden and you couldn't see how many people were, were moving there. And within a month, we got the bounce rate down to 7%. Now, translating that to money, you know, sometimes people think a relationship between a landlord and a tenant is about rental and squares. And, you know, that's all we talk about. But if you can equate each person entering that store to revenue, you can probably intimate that we've added 14% of the turnover to that store by simply understanding how people were interacting with the store, mentioning that to the specific retailer, and then obviously, you know, uh, being happy to use that information and change something in their, their physical business. But but certainly that for me was a good example of how we could actually practically use this information, not of individual people, but of a, a you know a group of people in a certain type of behavior, you know, to make life better for, for that specific retailer. I think that's a really incredible example of using data and using it effectively to actually affect change and then seeing the immediate results. As you said, the bounce rate went down from 20% to 7%. Uh, more than cut in half. So that's uh, exceptionally valuable and, and a really great example of how data analytics can be used in a company such as Attack. So one of the questions I've, I've got for you is, so then where does that leave property development going forward? Do you think property development going forward is going to be largely data driven where you obtain data from, from different points? You maybe say, well, you know, this is an area that's um, got a significant um, density of the population, but there, there aren't enough shopping centers there. And we're going to target that to develop our new shopping center. How, what does that look like for the property development industry? Yeah, that's that for me, that's a difficult question, Matthew, although, you know, to you it doesn't sound like one. And, and uh, you know, I'll explain that, you know, with a reference to a couple of things. So, so firstly, I think we also have to be cognizant to not overreact uh, in the short term. So, you know, the impact of this pandemic, the work from home uh, trend, uh, certainly, you know, we could make decisions in the short term that are, you know, completely overreacting. And I think we have to we have to balance that and, and, and make sure. So I think my answer is going to be in the context of that. You know, do I believe that the world of development is going to change, you know, very soon because of data? I don't. 
Uh, but I do think that elements have to creep in and, and elements have to be used. You know, I recently read about a company called Cove in the States. Very interesting. You know, what they do, they work with big multinationals uh, and, and use analytics to understand uh, the employee behavior. So, you know, where do they drive around during the day? Where do they have their meetings? And they also have access to diaries. And basically what, what this company does is they would tell a company like Deloitte, well, if you have cluster offices in different suburban nodes, you know, these employees can actually have meetings there instead of coming to HQ, you know, downtown in the city. So, so, so certainly from a developer point of view, I think you have to be attuned to what's happening on the outside. So although it doesn't affect you in the development itself, but if you understand what other companies are doing and 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 what impact that has on your end user as maybe an, an, an you know a guy signing a, a big lease or a big you know corporate lease, um, you know that's going to be important to consider. You know maybe to use an analogy, and I, I had this discussion with with someone the other day, where where they they were very experienced and and certainly uh, to certain extent that experience does create some resistance when when one purely wants to talk about using analytics and data and i used the the money ball example and and I'm, i hope some of the the guys listening here have, have seen the movie because otherwise the analogy isn't going to work but but you know in that movie you have the scouts the baseball scouts they've got all the experience they've been doing it for 100 years and they do have the skills and then you have a guy out of college you know that writes an algorithm you know that tells them how to put together a baseball team and certainly i think in the world of development and property the same applies the guys with the experience still have the experience and the experience still counts for something. And so you, you shouldn't replace the one with the other, but the guys with the experience should ask themselves, will data and analytics allow me to make better decisions? And my personal view is the answer to that question is yes. So then the guys with the experience should try and adopt the data and analytics as far as they possibly can to just reinforce their gut feel, reinforce what they've, they've done over the last 20 or 30 years and just allow them to make better and better decisions in future. Absolutely. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Some incredible insights and some real world examples as well of how you use data. So thank you very much for your time and, and wishing you the best going forward. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for listening to RB's Data Analytics with Matthew Bernath podcast. Subscribe now for more episodes.